we asked uh, Forrest to speak, and he says, well, not until school's out. <laughs> School is out. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> there it is. So we're happy to have him here to speak for, to us this morning and just want to pray for him. Father, thank you for Forrest and for his willingness to speak this morning. I pray that you would take the time and the effort that he has put into this and use it to uh, bless us and to teach us something today and just uh, guide and watch over him through this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John. If you haven't noticed by the music this morning, you might have been able to guess my topic. Anyone, anyone t- want to take a guess? You got it. I will be talking on grace. And you may ask why I'm speaking on grace. Well, I'm speaking in front of a crowd, so I need all the grace I can get. Joking aside, though, grace is a term I've always heard all my life. Growing up in and around church, it's not a new term to me. I could give a simple definition of grace even as a young child. Grace is a gift from, grace is a gift from God that we do not deserve and cannot earn. And I kind of got to thinking about this this morning. I'm going off my script, and my wife just all of a sudden is like, "Uh oh." <laughs> but I think grace is kind of like some other terms that we are familiar with. Love. Think about love. We can give a definition of love when we're a child. But then I remember when I was in college, I met this cute girl named Katie, and it kind of gave me a new understanding of what love was. I went on to go on and marry this cute girl named Katie. And she took my hand in marriage, and that gave me a new kind of understanding of what, what love is. Then we had four children. Again, that experience gave me a new understanding of what love is. And I was kind of thinking this morning that grace is similar to that. We can kind of give a definition, but experience gives us a new appreciation of it. But let's start with definitions. Back on script. I think Paul gives a great definition of grace in Ephesians chapter one, verses seven and eight. He says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Grace is important because Ephesians two, eight and nine tells us for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yet I cannot speak to you today, and I can't speak for you, but I often have to remind myself of the importance of grace. I struggle with grace. I fall into what I would call a performance trap, where I try to earn grace, because I want to repay that the debt that was paid. I was kind of thinking again this morning, off script again, about, you know, Christmas. Somebody may give you a Christmas gift and you don't have anything for them. What are you sure to do the next Christmas? Make sure you have a gift for that person, right? And, I, and you know, I'm thinking about the, my performance trap idea, and it, it's the same kind of idea with grace. We want to repay that debt. And I intellectually know that can't be done. I mean, Romans 3.23 says, for all sin, fall short of the glory of God. 
However, my however, my life at times would suggest that if I sit back and think about my motives and my hearts, I am trying to earn grace. And I really think if you pull back all the layers of the onion, there's this fear that I'm not good enough for grace. And I think there's two camps with grace. Either I'm too good for grace or I'm not good enough for grace. That is what performance-based grace does, though. It imprisons you. Because you're only good as the next good deed that you do. You become trapped by proving yourself before God, only to realize you fall short every time. In the process of proving yourself to God, you base your good deeds on those around you. You have to have something to compare yourself to. And this is where judge, judgment and being judgmental comes into play. You're always comparing yourself. And in reality, you're just really kind of competing to see who's going to be the most righteous. Attempting to follow the rules perfectly to keep God happy and condemning others because they're not trying as hard as you can be quite exhausting, to be perfectly honest. But I'm but I am coming to realize that God doesn't love me because I made myself valuable through good service and good deeds. I'm valuable because God loved me. First uh, John 410 says this. This is love, not that we love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, it isn't how I feel that's important as how he and feel if excuse me, you see how I feel isn't as important as how he feels about me. It does not matter how good I try to be. What's important is how good God is. He never demanded a super Christian. All he asks is that I love him. I need to lower my expectations of myself and others while raising my expectations of God and his grace. Now, I'm not trying to discourage you from doing good deeds or serving. Those are great things. As long as they're done out of gratitude towards God. But when we are doing this to stay on the good side of God, we're opening doors to legalism. The scripture I really want to focus on this morning is the story of the prodigal son. And this begins in chapter 5, Luke 15, 11. But leading up to the prodigal son, um, Luke 15, verses 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So this kind of sets the stage of why Jesus is giving this teaching. The Pharisees and scribes were grumbling because he's kind of hanging out with the outcasts, the sinners. And he gives two other parables leading up to the parable of the prodigal son. The first being the lost sheep, where the shepherd loses one of the hundred sheep and goes out and finds finds it. And verse 10 says, or verse 7, excuse me, says, When the sheep was found, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Then we go into the parable of the lost coin. Woman has ten coins, loses one, finds her coin. And verse 10 says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we kind of see a theme here and we get to the prodigal son and there's, there's a similar theme. As well. So I'll be going kind of through the 
the whole parable. I'll probably stop and give some commentary, which is, again, off script. Verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. So there's two sons. The younger one, I'm the youngest, goes to to the father and says, give me my inheritance now. And in that culture, and even really today in our culture, that's not something you do. Uh, I mean, that's almost telling the father, I wish you were dead. But the father granted his wish. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all, all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And, and when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he, began, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Son took his inheritance and squandered it. Reckless living. He was in a faraway country. This is a... A Jewish boy, faraway country, probably meant he was in Gentile lands. And he ended up taking a job feeding pigs, which the Jewish people found to be unclean. And he even desired to eat while he was feeding these unclean animals. I think we safe to say this man has hit rock bottom. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I think this is an important step here. He's realizing and acknowledging his sin. He's beginning to repent. And he's even wanting some form of a mild form of grace. Just hire me as a servant. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now and now is found. And they began to celebrate. So we see as he's coming before he can even reach the father. The father saw him and ran to him. And I read some commentaries and an old man running would have been kind of shameful in that time culture. And I really probably is still in our culture today to see an old man running. But that wasn't that wasn't a common. And it's almost as if the father was anticipating or waiting or continually looking out for the return of his son. And not only. Does he not just hire him as 
a servant, kind of what the son was wishing for. The father goes far and beyond that. But that story doesn't end there. There was an older brother. Verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's he's received him back and is safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. He had he was entitled. He's uh, he played by the rules and he wasn't treated in the same way. But he answered his father, look. These many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, notice it wasn't his brother. It was this son of yours. You can see his disgust here. Who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him. Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And the story kind of ends a little bit open-ended to the older brother. We don't know if he accepted that the father gave him kind of his invitation to come to the celebration. But what we do know is the younger brother was in at the celebration. Often, when we hear a story or a parable, we naturally try to relate to the characters of the story. Perhaps you can identify with one of the two brothers. Maybe you're like the older brother who snubs the grace given to him by the father. Even though he's home, he never truly was home. And when the party starts, he refuses to go in and celebrate the return of the lost son. Or maybe you're like the younger brother. Like him, he squandered his wealth and ran away as far from church and the faith as possible, only to hit rock bottom and running back to the father's arms. Some of us may even identify with the father. Maybe we have family members or loved ones who've gone astray, want nothing to do with us or our faith. But we really need to realize that both of these brothers needed grace. No amount of righteous work can ever earn us a spot in heaven. And it's really kind of easy to relate with either one of these brothers. The older brother abused grace that the father had given him. He thought because he stayed behind, played by the rules, he earned his inheritance. As Christians, we need to analyze our hearts and see that something similar hasn't happened to us. Do we think ourselves superior than the lost son who returned home? My heart at times would suggest that maybe I do. And God has convicted me of that this week. If so, you better be praying to God to transform your heart so you can join in the celebration that the father that the father's hosting. The prodigal son was abuser of grace as well. He had a loving father, a good home, a future, an inheritance. 
He traded it all away for temporary pleasures. How often do we do the same thing? And as Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. However, in the story, we also see the love of the father. When he saw the boy coming, he was still a long ways off. The father ran to him, hugged him and kissed him. He didn't ask him where he'd been, what he'd been doing. There's no lecture saying, oh, I'd give my son a lecture. Don't. But the, the father in the story gives no lecture saying, I told you so. You should have known better. There is no, I hope you learned your lesson speech. There's simply the love of a father and the joy that his son had returned. In closing, I want to encourage you to examine your own heart. As I read and prepare to speak today, I found myself relating to the older brother, which I know represents the self-righteous Pharisee. This troubled me. However, I feel God called me to this passage to expose my own heart and my attitude towards grace and others. Because it is because for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for the gift of grace and father, just thank you for convicting me this week as I studied and prepared I, I realized my my attitude and heart towards grace was not where it's supposed to be I just I hope that my words were encouraging to those around me today father in your name I pray amen